Paul George, we just had you on Life on the Rock, and some of the things we didn't get to touch upon in your work, one is your consulting work. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I think probably learned a lot through my own failures, you know, of leading an organization, starting nonprofits. And then, uh, you know, through the pandemic, a lot of people were set back in the work that they could do. Uh, they had to cut back. Uh, and what it really, uh, I think, pushed people to start to think about is, okay, how do we move forward? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't move forward unless you know what you're really about. And so clarifying what your mission is. And mm -hmm. so whether you're a for-profit company or a nonprofit, a mission-based organization, a Catholic organization, a church, if you don't know where you're going, then you, you have no idea how to mm -hmm. get there. And so it's really mapping out clarity of mission, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the vision that pushes you forward. And then how do you build out a strategic plan to get you there? So what does the next three years, one year look like based on the clarity of your mission? Mm -hmm. And then how do you get people to buy into that? The people who mm -hmm. are part of your, your company, your organization, how do you get them to breathe and live the same core values that your company is trying to to live out each day. Mm -hmm. So you get it all on paper, you write it out. And... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of a visual person, uh -huh. I'm a guy, you know, so yeah. like uh, uh, big sticky notes all over the room, but really yeah. mapping out um, that out and having some fun with it in the strategic yeah. plan. Uh, and so I, I've really enjoyed just sitting down with the, the leaders of these organizations or companies and just hearing what the mission is and bringing some clarity to that because I, I think, you know, we, we all have a mission on our heart, whether it be an individual or as a family mm -hmm. or as an organization. So one of the things that we've done even as a family is come up with our own mission statement. Mm. What is our mission statement as a family? What are we about when we wake up every morning? Do we live that out perfectly? No. Mm -hmm. We fail at it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what is it? And so yeah, we have older kids now and some kids at home. And I, everyone can rattle off our mission statement. Why? Because yeah. it's on our fridge. We brought yeah. clarity to that. Yeah. And so the same thing is within a, you know, a company or an organization, a church, a, a ministry. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your wife. I've never met her, but is she real energetic, real organized type oh, person? Oh, come on. I'm the front man. <laughs> I'm the front. She is really the, the heart and soul of our family. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of depth. And I always said, like, if I'm going to get to heaven, she's going to drag me there. Yeah. You know, she's really, you know, that's her focus and it's great. Might as well. But she's she's really, you know, she's fun. She, she's uh, energetic. But she would rather do something with me, like our marriage retreats, than do something off on her own. And so right. she really feels when we're doing stuff together, whereas I can do other things and be off on my own. I always say I'm just the hype man. She's the mm. heart of it all. <laughs> Yes, and you're also doing marriage retreats. Tell us, that's like a fewer amount of people, right, you're working with, yeah. like 10 couples, you said, or yeah. is it something like that? Yeah, 10, you know, we, it, if you go to renewbyretreat.com, uh -huh. we have this site that's just hosts our retreats, but they're small group retreats. And obviously through COVID numbers, all those things were like mm -hmm. an issue. And these were sort of COVID proof. But what we really found out is when people were coming back from the pandemic is that they desired community. And so having these small group retreats, men, women, and married couples, we'll take five couples at a time mm -hmm. to a nice place, like a you know vacation type home mm -hmm. with a priest and go through a whole weekend retreat. And it's amazing because you have community with other people, but then you have a lot of 
one-on-one -on -one time as a couple to just enjoy time together and kind of dig into your marriage. Right. And what would be some of the topics like you would present on? It seemed to give some kind of talks mm -hmm. and things. They're kind of in small group mm -hmm. sort of format in mm -hmm. a living room. And you just we kind of just present as a facilitator the topic and then the couple goes and kind of works it out, talks about it, mm -hmm. kind of navigates because every marriage is individual. Yeah. It's different there. You know, we're all called to the same vocation, but like we're all unique mm -hmm. uh, in our marriages. We have unique personalities. Uh, and so we every marriage is very unique. And so you don't want to just say black and white for you, yeah. black and white for us right. in a sense. So it's really cool to see couples where they come in and, and kind of dive in. But basically we talk about marriages, about unity, and we break open over the course of the, the weekend uh, physical unity, theology of the body, emotional unity, communication, conflict, resolution, family of origin, mm -hmm. and spiritual unity, our spiritual mm -hmm. life, individually and together as a married couple. Now, are, are you getting like devout Catholics that say, like they want to practice the church's teaching on contraception and things, or you so, have to convince them of that? That's a great question. I mean, the statistics tell us uh, maybe only 3% Catholics practice it, natural mm -hmm. family planning, mm -hmm. you know, live out theology of the body. Right. We'll get a mixed group of couples. We have couples who come on the retreat who will literally tell us, we have never heard of this in our life. Yeah. We've been married 15 years. We've never heard of theology of the body. We've never heard of natural family planning or the church's teaching on birth control. And so in, uh, you know, in the session on sexuality, theology of the body, we, we have a, you know, a pamphlet of information and we talk about natural family planning and, and some couples it are practicing and some have a lot of questions and, and we, you know, we take each individual couple with kind of their needs and what they have, mm -hmm. you know. What would you tell them about, like, maybe people don't appreciate the unitive aspect that the church's teaching gives a, a marriage? That it, How does it unite them practicing? Yeah. When we talk about this in all areas. So you, mm -hmm. can't, you can't just bring up this idea of, like, sexuality or the physical union and not talk about it in other areas, mm -hmm. emotional or spiritual. And so mm -hmm. we, we approach it this way. It, in any area of your marriage where you're withholding yourself, you don't have full unity. Mm. And that could be emotionally, you're withholding things, mm. maybe maybe things you don't talk about, things you withhold internally, emotionally. Uh, you could be withholding spiritually um, based on fears or, or whatever. Mm. And you could be withholding physically in mm. not giving your total self because of birth control. You're not coming freely, totally, faithfully, right. and fruitfully within your right. marriage. Right, right. And like the spiritually, what would that look like? If we withholding spiritually. Yeah, it's a, a, you know, in Sean, our last retreat we were doing, and we, the priest we brought with us, Father Blake Dubrock, who um, studied a lot of theology of the body, we in this small group session, and he's sitting in there with us. He's kind of, mm -hmm laying on a hammock we're in this beautiful porch in the mountains yeah. of this home and he's and he uh just unplanned but just very naturally as you get to know each other become the conversation becomes deep and comfortable mm -hmm. you know and he just says you know it's interesting that you guys as married couples can um you know ha have physical unity in your sexuality mm -hmm. together but a lot of people you can't spiritually unify you don't know mm -hmm. how to pray together 
Mm. Like there's this vulnerability that you're afraid of to learn how to navigate the spiritual life together. And yet you could do these other things. And like the guys were just like, uh, okay. Uh, he had their attention. Yeah. Basically what he's saying is like, you just have to like practice and learn and overcome the obstacles spiritually together. How do we pray together? How do we talk about our faith together? How do we navigate through that together? Let's not avoid it uh, because we're spiritual beings. And for us to be unified in our marriage, that has to be a part of it. And that's the big piece we're talking about, like praying together and obviously going to mass together and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, mass is like an, yeah. an easy, I say easy, it's an easy first step. Like, let's just yeah. go to mass together. Let's go to adoration together. Now, we're unique in the way maybe we pray or have devotion as men, women, and our personalities. Yeah. So I'm not saying like we have to do everything together spiritually, right. like prayer. But learning what works for you as a couple to unite you spiritually is very important. What is that for you? Yeah. And it is it is vulnerable. I mean, sometimes even in community, like to pray with religious brothers and things, you do kind of, uh, yeah, you do kind of put yourself out there a little bit if you're praying intensely <laughs> yeah. for something. It's like, why am I afraid to pray with them? <laughs> yeah, I remember what, like one couple, an older couple said, uh, the woman said, I wish my husband, I wish I could hear my husband pray so I know what was going on in his heart. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a woman's desire, but it also showed that they probably weren't navigating well through the emotional unity piece either. Like if right. she was really, they were really engaged emotionally, able to communicate, talk about deep oh, things, right. Right. it would then help on the spiritual side too, because there's nothing that you're afraid to talk about spiritually yeah, as yeah. well. And what are you seeing, like, in the couples and your observations, just in the culture, like, problems in marriage today? What are the kind of the threats? What's tearing at it? What's making mm -hmm. it hard? I mean, a lot of people will point to the main things that people divorce over or fight about or finances, sexuality, inability to communicate. But those are surface issues. And I always say, like, what's the underlying issues? Like, mm -hmm. what's underneath? fighting over finances yeah. or the inability to resolve issues or, you know, sexuality. What I and my wife have found in preparing couples for marriage, we, we have couples in our home and we prepare them and having married couples in our home and doing retreats with them. I, I think so much of the struggle in marriage is family of origin issues, mm. issues undealt issues that people bring into their marriage that they don't even know is an issue until they get married. That could be coming from divorced families, lack of knowing how to communicate, how people fought, like abuse, physical, emotional, spiritual, all those things come into your marriage. And then all of a sudden you're faced with another person yeah. daily. Yeah. And the, there's a lot of, a lot of things that come to the surface in that. That's what they say about religious life. When a man enters, he's bringing his whole family with him. <laughs> yes. I always say, like, what I tell married couples, because I've learned this my own self, is, like, you come with baggage. Mm -hmm. And my hope for you is by the time you get married, you're not going to get rid of all your baggage, but you'll be in a carry-on. Mm. And if you can downsize to a carry-on, then the other person can navigate through your carry-on. Mm -hmm. But if you're coming with a U-Haul truckload, yeah. man, it's going to be it's going to be pretty difficult. Yeah. And so... You got to do a little of the hard work before you get married, but marriage in its 
in its very nature, just like living in community life, helps us to navigate through some of those things mm-hmm. if we're open to the healing process and like growing through them. Yeah, yeah. And you have your own story with that. Your parents were divorced, you mentioned, and you've done work on that. What is What are some things you've learned and the work you've done on yourself in that regard? I think the main thing that, I mean, I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, a marriage is, is the school of relationship, you know, and so it's kind of what you ob- observe, you mm-hmm. absorb, and then mm-hmm. you repeat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you don't even know that. Mm-hmm. And so just recognizing what did I observe and absorb that was kind of hindered me from being fully a good husband and father. Mm-hmm. And then what did I need to work through? To, right, you know, right. like what are some of the brokenness or wounds there, not only from my parents, but just from life in general. Um, and then ultimately just as a guy saying, maybe I, admitting that I needed to do some hard work around mm. those areas, you know. Yeah. And healing for you would be like there, your faith helps us or maybe relationships with other guys or something that all of that you know uh community Mm -hmm. but you know the the church is a is a place for it's an infirmary you know the sacraments are beautiful the grace Mm -hmm. of the eucharist and reconciliation helps us to navigate through life it gives us the grace and learning the process of healing is just simply inviting jesus his grace, which is the presence of the Lord, into broken areas of our life and saying, Lord, like heal that area, speak yeah. truth to it yeah. so that I can live differently. Yeah. You know, I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over. I don't right. want to get angry every time this happens or I don't want to avoid conflict every time this happens. Yeah. Help me to navigate through that. Yeah. And for you, did you like do journaling or is it just like personal prayer, just bringing this hurt, this wound to Jesus in prayer and say, yeah. ask him to heal it or? I don't know if there's one way, journaling, mm-hmm. uh, adoration, like praying with maybe a memory or a wound, mm-hmm. having someone pray with me who's mm-hmm. who's kind of skilled in that healing yeah. area, and then having just community and friends, having trusted friends, my wife, my spouse, you know, uh, to talk through right. some of those things, I think is just very healing in and of itself. You know, yeah. for example, like, you know, like we didn't, uh, I mean, I have a lot of examples, but, um, one of one of our goals as a family was we wanted to do dinner together mm-hmm. as a family, like as our kids, you know. And it was hard when they were little; they they didn't, you know, sit down real well. Mm-hmm. But I remember my wife one time, and I was kind of a little flustered. And she, all the kids left the table. So a while back, a long time ago, and she looked at me. She says, "You're okay." And I don't know for some reason I had the grace not to snap back at her in that moment. And I just said, "You know, it just hit me." that I never learned how to have dinner yeah. with other people at a table. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm learning how to do this yeah. and I don't know how. And right. I think for her, a light came on. I was like, oh, this helps me to be more patient with you right? as we kind of navigate through the chaos of yeah. you know family. And so I just was like committed myself to like learning how to like have dinner as a family and just learning how to like, yeah, you know, yeah, sounds crazy, but yeah, that yeah. was, that was part of my story. No, I think it's a problem like with maybe less, I don't know what the stats are, but less families having the family meal every evening. There seem like there's so many 
ways that parents can get a read on their children to see where they're at, but also, yeah, just having to communicate with one another at dinner or just, you know, having the extended family of grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, which were more, you know, we live away from them more. People are much more transient, I guess, who work, mm -hmm. and so we're separated. But, you know, I think of that growing up, like I, I didn't live near extended family, but we would, every year we'd go down to New Orleans and, and visit family and spend time. But, you know, in those kind of things, you got to talk with people, you laugh with people and, you know, might have disagreements and stuff. And, uh, and it teaches you how to communicate. Totally. You know? If you're looking at your screen all day, yeah. you're not learning how to... <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We have three of our kids are out of the house now. And yeah. Our oldest daughter is about to get married. And um, we'll ask kids, like, what, like, what's one of your greatest memories? Or, like, what did you... And they'll say, uh, dinner. Dinner around the table. And, and I'm, like, yeah. floored by this, right? Because yeah. it's very simple. We don't yeah. do anything. We just have dinner. Right. And we've decided that no topic is off limits mm -hmm. at the table. You could talk about anything. You could mm -hmm. say anything. You can communicate. We've fought at the table. We've cried at the table. Yeah. We've resolved at the table. Right. We've laughed. All those things. Yeah. And you're right. Like that's in community. As yeah. a family, as a small community, you learn how to not only communicate, interact, mm -hmm. uh, say you're sorry, hurt people, yeah. laugh with people, and and uh, you know you just gotta let it happen. Right. Right. And you also have uh, done a lot of work on the topic of masculinity. You've got a, a new book, relatively new book, Holy Grit. And what are some of the things there you see in the the landscape of masculinity in our culture? Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, it's it's kind of a mess for what it is a mess. Says. And uh, you know, it's like, how do you even define the mess? <laughs> but the reality is, is like men are men. God created men to be men, mm -hmm. and we need a just be the man God created us to be. Now, the whole idea of this toxic masculinity is, yeah, I mean, I, men throughout all of the ages, all of history, have misused their masculinity. Mm -hmm. We can just, you know, yeah. admit that. Like, yeah. And that is the fallen state. That is the sin of man, is to dominate the yeah. other, particularly uh, a woman, right? Yeah. To push someone down and dominate, to use another person, that was never masculinity and still never will be. Right. Uh, and that is toxic to society. Authentic masculinity is the man who is unafraid to face challenges, to serve, to love, to defend the weak, to stand in the gap, to lead. Uh, and you know, the, the genesis of the book, Holy Grit, is what I have found the struggle with men is that we live in boxes. And so we can say, yeah, I want to be gritty. I want to do hard things. I want to be masculine. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, God created us to, to be gritty, to be tough, to do hard things. But he created us to know and love him, to be holy. And so the book is about how do you merge those two things together, not yeah. separate those things, mm -hmm. to be holy and gritty. You can't mm -hmm. be holy and not gritty. Mm -hmm. Because what I have found is that there have been you know, a lot of men who I've known who have just quit on the faith. It got hard and they gave up. And I'm like, wait, why did, well, it got hard. Well, you didn't have grit, you know, and, and that's yeah. something we're all trying to work on. But like, that's the reality. Authentic masculinity is merging grace and grit together. 
Yeah, it's Teresa Babla talked about yeah, the importance, most important virtue. One of them is just perseverance. Mm. You know, there's, we can become discouraged, quit, and and give up. But I remember I was at a, I heard Father Dave Pavanka preaching one time, and he he said something along the lines. He said, you know, we're supposed to be seeking heaven, seeking the kingdom, and you know, we'll get there if we don't give up. Mm. It's not that we're never going to fall. So good. Yeah, but just don't give up. Get yeah. up and start moving again. You know? I remember <laughs> one of the craziest pieces of advice that I got, I was engaged to be married. This would have been 1996. And I asked a friend of mine who was older what one, one piece of advice was. And I was kind of carrying a journal around asking people different advice. And it was weird because it wasn't what I was expecting. He said, my greatest advice to you is that the, the only thing you'll have in your marriage some days is your commitment to your commitment. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, what about love? What about yeah. feelings? What about emotion? Yeah. He just said commitment to commitment. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're saying, Father, is, is if you just like commit to the long term, you'll get to where you're going. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not going to be easy. And I remember it hit me one day. I was like, I don't want to do this today. Right. This right. is really hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, she's getting on my nerves. Right. And I remember thinking, commitment to my book, that's it. And what I found is that commitment just pushes you through the hard times. You get to the other side of it. And that's why we need vows. You have marriage vows, you got vows in religious life and the priesthood. <laughs> it's like few of us are able, you know, just to really wake up every day and make the right decision on our own. You know, mm. we need that kind of commitment and that severity of a vow, you know, that that we've, we've made. And there's nothing wrong with your vow, your commitment being the only thing that you have at that moment. Yeah. Like that's what yeah. it's for. Right. Like you cling to that. Mm -hmm. Like, Lord, I don't feel you in prayer. I'm dry. I'm in desolation. I, you know, I, whatever you're, but I'm committed to you. Right. And that commitment, that vow you make to mm -hmm. the Lord moves you forward instead yeah. of backwards. And I think it's kind of what you were saying. Father Dave was saying, I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And I, I think, too, I mean, it might be times of your greatest merit. You know, if you're not feeling it and you're doing the right thing, <laughs> that's you're, you're being purified. You know, your motives are it's not, you know, I'm die, I have to die to myself. It's not about me. I'm not getting what I want out of it. And it's like all of a sudden I'm learning how to give and be charitable, like a real sacrificial love. Little, yes, yeah, like yeah. Christ. A real. I yeah. OK, I can't imagine that that uh, when Jesus carried the cross that he wanted to. Right. Like he was like, I couldn't wait for this. <laughs> and I, I can't imagine when St. Maximilian Kolbe took the place of another to be uh, murdered, right? Uh, that he thought to himself, man, I could not wait to do this. This sounds mm -hmm. so fun to me to go into a bunker and die. Like, you know, so like he had to fight his humanity to make a sacrificial mm. decision. Right. And he, because his commitment was so deep. And so like, yeah, sometimes doing the hard thing isn't something that we want to do. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And you talk about fellowship a lot and that need uh, to be like men, to be with other men, especially. And, and I think about, and I say this all the time on these podcasts, it seems like, but like the witness of like family, I think that's the importance. You know, family kind of forces up to, to be together. Like if we had maybe friends, we might drift in and out of their lives. 
you know, as we go along through life, but, you know, family kind of keeps bringing us back together. And it, but what I come back to, like when I look at my grandparents and things, they're all deceased now, but it, like their witness of carrying the cross, their witness of persevering through trials, their witness of having serious illnesses or great loss. And it's like, I, when, so when I hit something, I can say, well, they did that. Yeah. They went through that. Yeah. I can do that too. You know, I can go through this. That, that was important to me in writing the book for men was highlighting a saint in each chapter. Because I think men really need examples, mm-hmm. you know, not make-believe, not mythical characters, not fictional, but real people mm-hmm. who lived real lives, who did the real things. And so these saints um, were real men who walked this earth, who have real stories. And for me, it paints a picture of like, wow, if St. Augustine could do that, so can I. If St. Louis Martin can do that, so can I. Mm-hmm. If St. Ignatius can do it as St. Joseph, St. John mm-hmm. Paul. And we think, oh, they're, well, they're saints. I can never be like that. No, the great thing is I, I learned so much about their human story, yeah. about their the backdrop of how they grew up. And I was like, hey, they're human. They're no different. Yeah. You know, and, and it really, I, I had sort of another conversion by writing about these saints. Right. You know, I had an experience that I, I was in Poland in October, I think, and, uh, we went to Maxine Colby's place, and uh, and I, I just always just imagined him as like very kind of severe, tough guy, you know, austere, and you know, he had like I think it was seven hundred friars at that community. They're just doing all this incredible work, and they had a daily paper at one point. Mm-hmm. They had radio. They had a plane. Land, they had a land, landing strip for a plane to deliver these papers and things, and. Uh, uh, but, you know, I heard that they had an excellent tour guide there I talked a lot with, and, and she was telling me, you know, he, he, the friars loved him, and he had like a gentleness about him, a tenderness, one-on-one, it's not like he was just very good and, um, and very encouraging. And yes, lived an austere life, um, but also was, was, was good, kind to people and, you know, merciful and things. And I was so struck by this one story that, you know, he, uh, there was a bishop in Japan invited him, you know, because he's had a doctorate from the Angel or wherever, there's the Angel, I forgot where his doctor was from, but he, he went there to teach in the seminary in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so they're persecuted, a persecuted church in Japan, in just a small little seminary. He went with a handful of other brothers, priests, and he didn't have the big numbers. You know, I just thought wherever he went, he'd just have huge numbers and yeah. be a great success. That this this tour guide, she was more than a tour guide. She was something of a scholar with it. But she she was saying he was surrounded by holy figures as well in their own right. Mm-hmm. You know, that helped him do Nipakalana. And here, I don't know, he didn't he didn't have the numbers. So one day he was discouraged. You know, the guy that could last in a bunker for how many days? You yeah. know, he was discouraged and. And it, I think it was a point of Mariology. You know, he was he was pushing a strong, mm-hmm. lived out Mariology every day. You know, even the way they greet each other, and and this priest from his order, you know, questioned him. You know, isn't this like too much? And and this simple brother who was there was known for his holiness, but not a theologian. I think. And he tells Max Pinkola, he said, "It'll be okay," mm-hmm. and that encouraged him. You know? yeah, just <laughs> and, yeah. And I thought. 
wow, I mean, this guy who died in a bunker voluntarily mm. and went through the horrors of Auschwitz, he needed encouragement, mm. you know? And so what do, what, is, what do we need, you know? And what, you know, what kind of, we need that encouragement. We need that kind of contact yep. and to be open to it. Yep. You know, not to think you have to slug it out by yourself all the time. And that's the thing is like, no saint becomes a saint on their own. Yeah. You know? I mean, and we can't look at these saints like they weren't human. They are, and, and the path for all of us is sainthood, whether we're, you know, obviously, you know, not, you know, the goal is to be recognized, canonized mm -hmm. saint, but to enter into heaven, yeah. you know, to, to get there um, of sainthood. And it's the same Maximilian Colby, just needing encouragement is so beautiful. Like I love knowing the human side of a saint because it makes my life seem more doable. Right. You know, like, right. oh, I'm not alone in this. I can, right. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of the older sisters up in Hansville tell me, you know, she was here since, uh, I think, 1963. Your know, mother came like in 1961. So she saw all the struggles, the trials, the money problems, everything. Mm. And, and she said, you know, she said, don't be discouraged. She said, and have, hold on to joy, you know, because joy can be a defense. You know, the evil one wants to discourage us. And I've come to see it, a greater appreciation for what St. John warns us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, you know, it's not just Satan himself tempting us, but it's that fallen spirit of the world, of our own flesh that we carry around with us all the yeah. time that's wants the easier path, you know, and doesn't want to die to yourself and wants to be self-indulgent, wants to do what you want to. So you got all that kind of pulling at you. And a protector of that is to to live the joy, mm. right? And I, sometimes I think we can talk ourselves out of joy by just focusing on the problem, you know, and just regurgitating the problem and the issue. And well, okay, maybe we don't see a success there, but every day God's blessing us with mm. something and people in our lives and stuff that can encourage us. And one of, one of our priests, he was just sent a picture, his family sent him this picture of their little toddler. I mean, the girl was really young, maybe like three, and it's this picture from, from behind where she's kneeling down with hands folded in front of a crucifix on the wall. And it was just this very sweet picture, but there's also something very deep about it mm. that, yeah, maybe her parents forced her down in that position, but, right. but still we are children kneeling. At the end mm. of the day, Amen. we're kneeling before the cross. Mm. And we're saying, help us, Lord, forgive me, Lord, whatever. You know, we're focused on a Christ that is crucified following him. And I was like so moved by that. I told, I joked, I said, it can't be that simple, Father, is it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we make it complicated. We're distracted. We're torn. But make it that simple again. Yeah, Jesus right? does, doesn't he? He's yeah. just come to me like, yeah. like a little child, you know. And uh, I think the older we get, the the further we get away from thinking that we're God's you know, sons and daughters, but yeah. we're, we never stop being that, right, you know, and right. when, you know, my daughter's getting married soon and, you know, it's a, you know, I have a lot of emotion around that. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing, but it's interesting because as a dad, when I look at her, like when I physically lay eyes on her, I see her in her, uh, baptismal gown or her first communion gown. Mm-hmm. And yet she's coming out in her wedding dress and I still see her as the little girl. Right, right. And right. that'll never go away. 
Yeah. I think with God, it's the same way. Like he never yeah. stops yeah. cherishing us as his sons and daughters. Right, right. Yeah, we might think of it some other way, but we're his children. Yeah. <laughs> we need to be dependent on him. We need totally. to trust him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So without a doubt. So men need to be connected with other men, right? You, I think you said on the show, men need to teach other men. And what is your advice there? I mean, some guys, you know, we just, it's hard for them to connect with others. I, I always look at our culture and I say, it's always like feeding isolation and individuality. Like even like media, right? We're all in our own ghettos and our entertainments and what we're looking at on the internet and our own pursuits and everything. And there was some book written years ago about lamenting the loss of bowling leagues. You know, we don't come together to bowl anymore, right? Yeah. We're, we're in our rooms doing whatever, you know? <laughs> I think you bring it up. I mean, you're, I think you're spot on when you talk about isolation. You know, a recent study came out so that, you know, that the greatest, one of the greatest causes of death among adult men uh, is loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, like that's the place in our culture where men are isolating themselves. Maybe they worked and they're retired and they, they lost friendships, they yeah. lost on the internet. They, you know, um, you know, they're lonely even inside their marriages. And um, what we need is to, to be pulled out back into the bowling league the community, fellowship, friendship, you know, and that's so important for men. You know, if not, we struggle with loneliness and isolation. And of course, who works the greatest in isolation? The enemy. Yeah. I mean, he just wreaks havoc in a guy's heart and mind in isolation. Right. Right. I think that's clearly the women's, one of their gifts is that relationship and building relationships Mm -hmm. and Men can really struggle with that. They don't have that skills or something, you yeah. know, that women, drive. Women are very communal. And you'll see that in older women. If if they're widowed, they might not get remarried. They just naturally find friends and join clubs. And, yeah, yeah. You know, where you know, a, a guy either gets remarried soon or gets lonely and passes away. It, it Men struggle with that. And, but I think the enemy plays into that instead of us being intentional about seeking out community. Yeah. Well, thank you, Paul, for so uh, for your time today and coming, and got to head back to Lafayette. Yeah. Got a crawfish boil going. Yeah, on heck down yeah, there. man. You know what it's like down there. <laughs> the food's great, the people, the culture. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on. This yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. And if people want to um, find the book on masculinity, it's just it's easy. Holygrit.org. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Well, thank you so much.